You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, Episode 2. You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Before we get into today's episode, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and started putting connections before content. So let's get right back into the show. My guest today is teacher Maureen Palero from the Oregon City School District. Maureen brings 24 years of special education teaching into the classroom, but more importantly, she brings the value and importance of relationships and connections. She's going to do this in a profound way for us today. She's going to be talking about routines, relationships, regulation. She's going to be talking about the brain research behind that. And so as she has figured out how to maneuver through all of the things that are going on in the modern day classroom, but she's also figured out how to keep relationships and connections at the forefront. Let's get today's episode started. Welcome to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I'm super excited today to have an amazing teacher from Oregon, Maureen Palero, on today's show. Welcome, Maureen. Hello. Good morning. Awesome. So, yes, morning and your time. And so yes. I'm excited that you were able to invest a, a little bit of time with me this morning to talk to me a little bit about the teacher's point of view. And before we get into the content on every show, we always like to represent what we do in the classroom, which is always about connections before content. And we do that in what we call the GTKY format. That means just get to know you. And so on our show, we do the flip five. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Tongue twisters <laughs> this morning. And so uh, I'm going to give you five questions and you're going to flip five back at me just to kind of get to know each other a little bit more than we already do, and then we'll get right into the content of today's show. So, Maureen, living in Oregon, what is your favorite thing about living in the Pacific Northwest? The favorite, my favorite thing. I would have to say, like, real seasons. Like, we definitely, our fall is absolutely gorgeous. I love being here in the fall. Um, my favorite place to go to in the fall is Corvallis, Oregon, where I went to college. The colors are amazing, just everything about the scenery. And then we have a lot of rain, but we always get some snow in the winter. Our spring is gorgeous with everything blooming. And then summer is tolerable. It's, you know, we get some nice heat waves enough to sit outside quite a bit, be outside. So I like the consistent weather, the seasons. Like, I love that. That's what I love about being a Oregonian. Okay. So question number two, Um, you are a mother of how many children? Two. 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 So what's your favorite thing about being a mom? Oh, boy. Um, Well, I have a 16-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old boy. And I think the most exciting thing about being a mom is just the differences 
that I see in them and getting to know them as human beings and watching them grow as individuals. I think that getting to be their person and their um, go-to human is a rewarding part of my day. There are, of course, a lot of gray hairs that come with being a mom, but it's worth every single one that I have accumulated over the years. I just, I love the relationships with my kids. I love getting to watch them learn and grow and explore. And my daughter is into dance and student council and leadership. And my son loves sports and running around with his friends. And, and so I think that's, that's the most rewarding thing is just getting to watch these humans grow that I get to be a part of their life every day and, and cannot wait to see and continue to watch them blaze trails. Awesome. Question number three, what's your favorite thing to cook? Favorite meal or favorite? I'm a baker. I I love to bake. I am told I make really good chocolate chip cookies. So I love to bake my chocolate chip cookies and I love to bake pies. I, I really enjoy baking pies. It's my favorite type of pie is a paper bag apple pie that I make. Yes, I know. It's uh, like a apple pie crumble and you actually bake it in a paper bag in the oven and it's delightful. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make it for you sometime. <laughs> okay, good. So question number four. So since you're into baking uh, and, and, and even cooking, so if, if, do you watch any of the cooking shows and those types of things? Uh, yes, I'm a Food Network junkie. Okay, like, I'm, I, I, yeah. I made an assumption there. So if you could be on one show on the Food Network, oh what show would you be on? Well, it definitely wouldn't be Worst Cooks in America because I am a decent cook. Oh, boy. I think I would love to be... Chopped would stress me out too much. I think I would love to be on like a cooking, Valerie Bertinelli is doing cooking shows now and I would love to be on a cooking show with her because I love watching her. Oh, she's, I don't remember the name of her show, but I think something like a guest star on either her show or Rachel Ray. I would love to be on like 30 minute meals or whatever that she does. Yeah. All right. I don't think she makes them officially anymore, but. <laughs> Got it. All right. Last question. Um, if you could sing a duet, even if you can't sing, if you could sing a duet with anyone, who would you love to sing with? Oh boy. I would say John Lennon. The Beatles is, um, is, oh no, actually, can I, well, oh, that's tough. John Lennon or Stevie Nicks. Those would oh. be my top two. Good yeah. deal. Love it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Hit me back with. Oh boy, here's where so okay. Um, well, my first one is a would you rather question. So, would you rather lay in a hammock and read a book or kayak down a river? Kayak down a river. Okay, (laughs) that makes you an Oregonian (laughs) by proxy. Okay, uh, the funniest name for a pet that you could think of. Oh my god, funniest name for a pet. (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, I'll just go with like Doolittle, like Dr. Doolittle. I don't know why. Okay. Yeah, I, I, when you said pet, Dr. Doolittle came in. So I'll just go there with Doolittle. All right, that works. If you were a ghost, who would you haunt? <laughs> who would I haunt? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I don't know I, if I'm a ghost and if I'm going to be scaring people or versus just haunting, like being around, man, if I could be a ghost, I just hang around my daughter. I have one daughter. I would just like to be around in her life. Even if it was a ghost, <laughs> just get her to like Casper, like, don't be scared. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. If you had a bottomless drink dispenser in your kitchen filled with your favorite drink, 
constantly, always, what would it be? Oh, God. Well, if it's alcohol, that would be a (laughs) bottomless margarita, because you know me, I'm a tequila guy. If it was non-alcohol, believe it or not, it would be Kool-Aid. I'm a grape or orange Kool-Aid freak. I, I, I love Kool-Aid and I love those two flavors, grape or orange. So, All right. Um, and then would you rather be a wizard or a superhero? I think a superhero. Uh, my brother, my older brother was always known as the wizard and in, 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 that was his little gig. And that was, he, I mean, everything was bad and was that. But no, I think right now I would probably resonate more towards a superhero. Okay. All right. That's my five. Good deal. Good questions. Uh, I love getting to know you. And those are good <laughs> questions for me. So I always tell teachers, like, using the GTKY questions in the classroom can be so easy as long as you ask the right type of question, right? Yeah. So, so you're teaching in the classroom. This is your 25th year in education. You have mm-hmm. a lot of different experiences. But mm-hmm. when, when you look at just the GTKY questions, let's just mm-hmm. start there. Nice segue. Okay. Um, how easy and, and, or how difficult has it been when you start to use just general questions, not even under our tools? I'm just talking about when you use these questions, what are some of your thought process of using good, good, good quality questions to get to know your kids and how to use those? Well, I think for me, it comes pretty naturally. I actually love doing the GTKY circles and my students absolutely adore, adore them as well. They ask for them, of course, all the time because <laughs> I think for me, just looking for those different creative ways to make the kids chuckle about something or get them thinking about something makes it um, a, a fluid process. I really like the fact, like when I come up with questions, I like to mix in a couple different options, the would you rathers or, you know, kind of the and or ors for kiddos that maybe struggle a little bit trying to think like open-endedly. So it gives them that choice. And then I try to do the open-ended questions more so when I have um, a group that I know that that is fine with just, you know, coming up with their answer. I think that for me, the, the, the variety that I come up with and the, that we use in the different classrooms really gives kids an opportunity to have everyone feel included. So, you know, and then, and of course, the basic of all those is, you know, we've learned this, I've learned this from you, but then even before is just being able to see the differences in each other and, or the connections and similarities that maybe they didn't think of. I teach in a smaller group, so it's, you know, we're kind of together all the time and some of them have been together for a few years, but I do have a class um, these last two years where it was a larger group of kids that come from a variety of different situations. And so I think it really opened up some opportunities for kids to laugh with each other and uh, be real with each other and everything. And so I feel like it's just an easy way to chat with kids and be genuine too. You know, they get to know stuff about me as well that they maybe didn't feel comfortable asking, even if it's something like, what's your favorite drink? Or would you be a ghost or a superhero or anything? And so it, it just creates a relaxed environment um, where we can practice just talking to each other and, and not worrying about if it's about content or whatever. It's just about being human and genuine. And that's what I love about them. Hmm. 
I loved your answer. Um, what I took away from that is, is the way that you intentionally put a variety of questions, the open-ended, the would you rathers, the simple. I think that's a really good takeaway to start the show with is for teachers, like, don't just set up with the would you rathers or just the really short, brief answers, the mixture of those. I like the variety approach. That's something I'm, I'm going to make sure that I take away that I continue to provide the variety approach. So that's a really good, good response that I'm learning a lot from you this morning. So I want you to think about this, Maureen. When you were growing up as a student, okay, let's go back. I want to, I want to go back to your experience with teachers. When you think of the teachers that, you know, mean the most to you for whatever reason, think about, I don't want you to necessarily think about the GTKY questions, but getting to know them, as you just said, as human beings versus the teacher, right? So what were some of the things that stood out qualities, characteristics about some of the teachers that you had growing up that you really resonated with them? What were some of those things? Oh boy, I have to be honest. I was truly blessed with amazing teachers. I can name every teacher from my elementary school. I can name my teachers from middle school and high school. And I think the thing I remember the most is and it sounds almost cliche, but they were genuine. You know, you just knew that they cared about us and they were funny and they were they found those opportunities when they, when they could to infuse relationships. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like, oh, okay, everything's got to be about our reading, writing, and whatever. They talked to us as human beings. I think in elementary school, you know, it's, it was very much the teachers, and I had a variety of personalities. I remember my teacher that read to me every day, like she read to us every day and that stuck with me like that. And I believe in that. And she wasn't the warm, fuzzy teacher, but, but when she would read, she just engaged us. I had the teacher that would sit and just chat with all of us and ask us how we were doing. And, and, you know, it wasn't just about checking if our math was right. It'd be like, hey, how's your math doing? But are you having a good day today? You know, those kinds of things. I remember in middle school, my teachers, uh, you know, middle school, I, I think of them as toddlers and awkward bodies. And that's, and that's how I remember my teachers just treating us like humans. Like they weren't like, oh, you're middle schoolers. You know, it was like, they would laugh with us. They brought in humor. They would joke. They would, they would find ways to see what our interests were. And then and of course, in high school, they were they cared about us as kids to be successful going on into adults. So I like I said, I I you know, I don't even I think maybe one teacher in my whole life that was like, oh my gosh, like dreaded the class. But overall, I just and I just remember being comfortable in classrooms because of the way that the adult in the classroom made me feel and the conversations and the flexibility and the humor. And those are the things that really stuck out with me. Love it. So uh, there was one word that stuck out. Uh, that, <laughs> yeah. That got to talk today. I'm still uh, drinking my coffee. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Infused. Mm -hmm. uh, like that, when you said that it like resonated with me, it's sticking in my brain as I'm continuing to listen to your story. So when I think back to my teachers, and as I'm listening to you talk about your experiences, uh, they were a little bit different, but ultimately what I'm noticing is that infusion, that they were able to infuse getting to know them as people and them caring and being humor and just being genuine and authentic while still being an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. So if we take that platform and we fast forward through your 20 
four years going into 25 years of education. Mm-hmm. What do you think has changed for the modern day teacher 25 years later? Well, even thinking, you know, and I, and I, I'll be honest, my background in teaching and special ed, I mean, I, I've taught my first 20 years, I was in a behavior classroom. And prior to that, I worked in residential treatment facilities for youth and adolescents. And so for me, making connections and relationships has just had to be part of my toolkit. I have to put that first because when you're working with children who have, you know, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but have been severely neglected and or abused or are in a shelter care that's not their home um, or youth uh, who are semi-incarcerated for choices they've made in the community, you have to build a relationship with them first or the other therapeutic interventions aren't even going to be they're going to be moot, you know, because they're not going to trust you. So for me, I think what I've seen is over the 25 years is definitely a lot of pressure on curriculum and, and content. And that's, and that's, you know, the, the things that get put on teachers' plates is just piling up. And so I think it's a challenge. It feels like it's more of a challenge. And I'm doing this from an observer point of view because of the nature of what I teach in, I have a little bit more flexibility to, you know, with things to, to really feel okay to put time aside to do a get to know you circle, to do a two minute connect, to just sit and on a Monday say, hey everybody, how was, let's chat about our weekend. I feel like there's this sub, this kind of looming like, oh, we gotta get, we gotta get through this book. We gotta get through this lesson. We gotta get through these notes in this kind of hurried, meet everything because of the standardized testing, you know, the window of testing, you know, we know we get a calendar at the beginning of the year. We know our vacations. We know when our breaks are, we know when conferences are, we know when state testing is going to be, we know April for us in Oregon is going to be a lot of testing. And so there's that kind of hurry up thing. So I, I feel like that has, that has become a heavier burden since when I first started in education 25 years ago. And I mean, I started out in my school district just six years after I graduated from high school. So I was back in my original high school that I graduated from six years later. And I watched some, a lot of dynamic teachers do some amazing things that I had remembered receiving in high school. And then I moved on to middle and elementary school. So I think definitely saw that, that change of needing to get things done academically. You know, and that, I think that I think that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I love listening to everybody's different experiences, and yeah. I think the not only do you provide the point of view from as a teacher, but you also do have that special ed lens, right, mm-hmm. where you can see what needs to happen for this group of students who has a variety of needs that need to be met. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing from you is that as you approach a variety of all of these, maybe even trauma experiences and special needs and so many things in in diversity, it sounds like your approach is, well, no matter what is, you just said it, before the interventions and everything else, I have to find a way to build relationships with these kids. Mm -hmm. What I'm also hearing from you is that you were able to find a little bit more flexibility than let's just say the traditional classroom teacher because you may be dealing with in smaller groups or have different times. Is, is, am I hearing that correct? 
Yeah. I mean, I taught in a behavior classroom for 20 years. And so I had a team, you know, we had a team and and the focus obviously was working with students to get more self-regulated and work on their executive functioning skills and, you know, their, their basic self-regulation skills. And now what I teach is in a small group language arts class. And so I have a smaller group of students where um, I have for a little, you know, all grades, sixth, seventh, and eighth. I'm in middle school right now. And so I have smaller groups and then I teach an elective class that's a social emotional curriculum. So kind of my opportunities definitely are unique in that um, one, it's a smaller group. And then my other class is a focus on social skills and interaction and relationships and stuff. So definitely, but I, you know, I have teachers in all areas and all grades and, and everything. So I do hear from them, their struggles and, and they, you know, what they want to do versus what they have to get done, you know, for Mm. the day. See, I think what you just said right there was that's powerful, right? That the difference for an educator on what they want to do and what they feel like they need versus what they have to get done. Compliance. Sometimes I, I heard somebody say it to me the other day, uh, compliance over kids. And, 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 and unfortunately, I think that's the, the route that we've kind of progressed to in education today. But if I stick back into your area of expertise in special ed and helping kids grow, let's just say, for example, behaviors. So, so talk, talk for a second here on like when teachers are dealing with behaviors, right? You have a maybe a more inside view to see what those behaviors may look like before they even get into the traditional mainstream classroom, right? Um, as they're growing through your, your small group and saying, okay, we're going to try to exit out and maybe go to a class or two or eventually get out uh, into general population into mainstream classes. So what would be some of the suggestions or strategies or some things to think about as teachers in the classroom that are dealing with behaviors mm-hmm. from your expertise, what were some of the things that we have to consider when we deal with behaviors in the classroom on a regular basis? Well, I know, and, you know, going back to what I said before, you know, when I was in the behavior classroom, again, there was, there was nothing that was going to be accomplished until we got to feel comfortable with the, with each other as students and, and, you know, as our environment and creating a community of safety because, in my small group classes now, so like I said, some of those kids have been there for one, two, three years. You know, I, 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 some, I have them every year. And then in the behavior classroom, you have kids kind of coming in and out. And so I think it, it's definitely when you have a kiddo that is starting to be dysregulated in a classroom, I come from everything like with a trauma-informed brain lens as well. And when I think about the frontal lobe and why is there amygdala running the show versus their frontal lobe. And I think when you set a foundation of trust and that trust is based on connection, that's when the work can start. I think that in my ideal world of education, we would spend the first, you know, three to six weeks really building that community of, of connection and relationships. And I think, in my opinion, but again, this is just my lens, that that would reduce a lot of behaviors down the road. I think we all do our get to know you activities and, you know, everyone does those types of things those first week and then everyone dives into curriculum. And I think if we slowed down a little bit, 
and even took a little bit longer. You could still infuse academics into things after you spend some time doing these simple questions and setting your routines because routines are regulating and connection creates regulation. And so I look at it from a preemptive lens. Like I think teachers, if we were given that, that license to take more time to do these types of activities, I think behaviors would naturally kind of decrease anyway, because you've created a, a community that's, that's strong. I think though, you're always going to have those kids that flare up, obviously throughout the year and things happen to students. I mean, you know, I, even speaking personally, my, my son had a, a you know, always does well in school. And then my dad passed away on Christmas Eve, you know, so going back to school for him was really hard. So, you know, some things had to be reset. So I think life happens for, for kids. And I think when teachers are dealing with behaviors in a larger classroom setting, really trying to break down the why and understanding that typically their behavior isn't about them, meaning it's not about the teacher, it's about something else that's going on. And how do we look at the demands of the environment and that student's skills? And if the demands of the environment are exceeding their skills, that's why you're going to see that dysregulation. And I think the first thing to do is find a way to connect with them and taking away the, you know, trying to figure out what is it that, you know, we can do to kind of start at square one with that student. How can I find a way to connect? How can I find a way to break down the barriers and say, okay, I know you're having a hard time in my class. We're going to, that's whatever. Let's back up. What, what, you know, what's your favorite drink in a dispenser? You know, just trying to find those ways. I, I think the more that we can, but again, I think if we could do more things preemptively, I think it would reduce, reduce a lot of dysregulation and take the time. And if they know that that's part of their routine, I think teachers would, I think, I know I had like a particular, you know, challenging group before, and I knew I had to do a two minute connect more often than not. And that's what settled them. You know, when I, and if I started to feel myself being frustrated as a teacher with the students, I had to step back and be like, okay, this isn't just about them. What am I doing too? What, what, what do I need to do differently? Okay. We're going to stop right now. We're going to do a little circle and we're going to chat about what your favorite color, your food or whatever is. And I allowed myself to do that. And I gave myself permission to do that. And then usually we could get back on track and the kids that my most challenging kids, they, they responded well to that. And they preferred that, which was fine. I mean, I, I, I think that's the last thing about it is you have to be okay with knowing that not all your kids are going to be the A plus student, but what can you do that makes them feel regulated and safe in your classroom? And I had a kid that if it was doing the two, that was his favorite time of the week when we did two minute connects and that's okay. You know, and that was my, my in for him. And, and that was okay with, I was okay with that. I think, again, I'm listening. One of the words you said was permission. And I have always kind of learned this later in life and career, but I would say power and permission. You know, you gave yourself permission. And I think that's empowering. Mm -hmm. What I think needs to happen more often is I would love to see campus administrators give permission and empower teachers to do the necessary things 
that they know is in the best interest of their kids, particularly in that moment. Or as you said, the other word that you stood out is preemptive and, and again, proactive, right? Mm-hmm. So there's two things I took away from your conversation was that permission and the preemptive. If we could try to not react and if we could try to be proactive to try to preempt, prevent some of these behaviors from occurring, I, I always say, you know, this is how I describe the school year. And, and maybe you'll, you'll enjoy this, right? Is I, I, it, great analogy. I'm a sports person. So even though I don't <laughs> necessarily, I'm not, I, I can't, I don't play basketball, but this is the best analogy I get. Right. So that, the school year is like basketball, right? So at the beginning of the year, and, and okay, and I'm going to take it, here's the asterisk. This is uh, pre-pandemic. So nothing right. about knowing to, prior right. to the pandemic. Okay, right. so the last 24 years of school, here's what I would look at it, is that, and you come back and you kind of revigorated, you had the off season, it's July, you're coming back together, you know, in August, and you, you, you rally your team together and you're ready to go right? And you've got the ball. We've got the ball. We're in control. We've got new procedures. We've got new teachers. We have new structures. It's a new school year. So it's a brand new game. So we feel empowered, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I know everybody starts school different, but I always say your first realization is around October. And I call Mm -hmm. October Shocktober. (laughs) And so what happens in in Shocktober, it's the first time that as you're dribbling the ball and you guys are passing it around and under control, all of a sudden the kids steal the ball. (laughs) And and you're like, whoa. And when I say Shocktober, it's the first wall you kind of hit like, oh my God, we're back to work. Um, Halloween is this month. <laughs> yes. We ha- we haven't really had a, a, a they haven't had a break. You know we haven't had a, a vacation day yet to kind of ease us back in education, right? right. So o- October typically is when morale starts to drop a little bit, discipline starts to increase. You know mm-hmm. I liked Marine when she sat in the, you know when she sat in my classroom in the, in August, and now I don't like her in October. <laughs> you know it's just all of a sudden you don't like that kid, right? right? So here's what happens. But it's October. It's still early in the game, and you eventually get the ball back and you go into Christmas break, maybe holding the ball for the, to run the last two minutes out to Christmas break and you're good to go, right? right. So then what happens is you come back after the break and you, and you got the ball, you feel again, you've had the break, your holidays are going along and then you get February, you know? <laughs> It, it's again, we're, we're all like looking at for most people, March is kind of the spring break is March, April, right? So I'm right. saying you're looking at that area and you're like, I can't wait to get to spring okay. break, but you can't make it there because the kids oh. have realized in February, like, Oh my God, we're going to light up again, yeah. discipline morale. <laughs> they get the ball back, but you know what? You're resilient and teachers get the ball back going into spring break, running out the clock. Right. Yeah. Then you come back and then well, let's get to the fourth quarter of our basketball game. <laughs> Let's talk about the longest month of the school year, May. Yes. So here's in May. May, and this is the position. If I stood up, I wish I could move around. But you know that defensive position that you get when you're guarding somebody? (laughs) So what happens in May is the kids get the ball in May. And at the May, you're like, you can have the ball. I don't even want the ball. (laughs) You're in this crouching defensive position, right? And you're sliding back and forth and your quads are burning, right? Your hands are tired of keeping them up. But you know what? You're like 14 more days, 10 more days, five more days, right? So I'm hoping our listeners are laughing along with this because I'm telling you, every time I do that in person and start sliding around and showing the visual stance, they're like, yes, that's our school year, right? So when you said preemptive, I always say, 
if October comes every October and you know it's coming, right? Right. What right. do you do? And I, I don't think you can prevent it, but what do you do to minimize it, right? right. And so <laughs> when you talked about like, all right, I've got these kids acting up. What If I think ahead of time, and I think it's the time of the year, I think, how do my kids come back on Monday? How do, how do we end the week on Friday? And, and I think the teachers even have to consider, Maureen, okay, first period versus seventh period, mm-hmm. right? Like you may have to differentiate your approach with the, the chemistry in the class, the connection in the class. Before lunch, after lunch. Yeah, all of those things, because there's usually a typical like full moon after lunch, and then they, they act crazy, right? So I just say this because what I want our listeners to get away is, is don't forget to give yourself permission to be able to differentiate, to meet the needs of those different periods and those different kids, and as administrators, empower your teachers so that they can know, hey, we're not going to survive Shocktober. We're going to slay it. We're, we're going right. to be more proactive. And so if you're asking me, what would that look like? This is when you want to have more adult connections. This is when your adults mm-hmm. need to feel and rally with each other. We're connected. You're not alone in this. You're not, you don't have the ball and somebody just stole it from you. There's a teammate right behind you right. and your kids need to connect. And what's crazy is the most stressful times are default mode in my opinion, is that we abandon the foundation of relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We go back to compliance over relationships. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, I know for the brain, when we're stressed, we become more rigid. And so we do the, you know, I mean, I think that's one, that's a natural response. And two, I think it's a human response. You know, when people are more stressed or anxious, they become more rigid and, less flexible in their thinking. And so it's harder to kind of access that, that logical thinking process. And you think emotionally, I think. And so I think during those times when we know it's going to, we know the holidays are not so fabulous for kids. You know, we know, you know, I, I think that those conversations and like you were saying, like, we know October is going to be tough. We know Christmas time, you know, holiday times are tough. We know the return back. And I, you know, my two things are relationships and routines, and those are the things that keep people regulated. And so I think that, I think if we can, can think about that when we're looking at the whole calendar year and we're thinking about that permission and those reminders from administrator and each other and our teammates that, hey, we know October's coming. Our little, you know, peeps are going to start popping up. Um, we need to ramp up, you know, make sure your routines are set, but, and then make sure that it's not about like reminding of the routine though. I think that's the thing where sometimes people get confused. It's like, oh, well I have a routine. So I have to remind them of the routines all the time. It's more about, okay, you have these routines and that's why I love your guys's treatment agreement because it's something that the kids, you know, participated in. But the, even the basis of those routines is the connection and the relationship. And so those looking, as you go into the shocktober or those tough you know, moments where you have to be on the defensive, really slow down and check yourself and make sure that you're managing your own connection with yourself and then realize that, okay, I need to build in 
more check-ins. I need to make sure on Monday morning that we're doing this and Friday we're doing this. And I'm a note taker, you know, like a sticky note user. And I was thinking about this this summer that for when I go back to the classroom, that that's going to be one of my tools is like making little sticky notes and reminders. So we got to do an extra one of these this week with this group, because I know that it's a tough year for this type of time of the year for this kid. I think any sort of thing we can do to remind ourselves of that and understand. And again, it's a little cliche, or maybe it's just my opinion. And I know it's part of yours is the content we have isn't going to absorb anyway, if we're living in this kind of shocktober mindset. So we have to find things that work for our classrooms to that are regulating and proactive so that when so that the content down the line can be more rich anyways. I think sometimes, you know, when we get closer to those holiday breaks, we get more hurried too cuz like, oh my gosh, I only have 10 days until winter break, so I got to make sure this paper gets done. And so then we we we're putting pressure on ourselves and the students to get done really fast when their little brains are like super stressed out. And so I think that's why we see those also those times where we see those influxes of, of behavior too, because we're trying to cram everything in. I know I've done it like, Oh my gosh, it's spring break. I don't want to leave this book hanging at spring break. Cause when we come back, no one's going to remember what we read. And so I, I feel when I feel that pressure in myself, I can typically look out and see that my kids are feeling it too. And that's when we have to stop and breathe and, and really, again, give ourselves permission. And I think it's a top down thing that everybody has to have that permission. Like if you are starting to see your kiddos pop up in the classroom, then it's okay to take time this week because it's two minutes out of your day to check in with the kids or uh, doing that three times a week more than you, when you normally do it too. I think if you have it built into your structure and you do that consistently, they already know that it's going to happen. And then if you have to ramp up those connection activities, then they know they're getting the regular connection activities and then they're going to be excited to get more. And I think you'll see a decrease in, in some of those hiccups that happen during those times of the year. That would be my, that's my prediction. You know, that's, that's, that's my hope is I would love to see schools, like I said, have teachers be given the permission to build those connection activities weekly into their plans. And then, and then when things start to flare up, have that permission that we know it's October, we know it's December. We know it's March. Remember to make sure you do more connecting. Make sure you take an extra 60 second relate break. Uh, Maybe, you know, once the weather's nice, it's okay to go take a walk with your kids. And I think if teachers had that, that overt permission to do that, I think it would relieve a lot of just everyone could exhale a little bit and, and have some more successful transition periods. I hope that answered everything. I kind of went off into a couple different tangents. I know. <laughs> no, um, I, I love it. Um, so, so a couple things. I'm just, I'm just in my mind. I'm saying them out loud because I want to just re, re, reiterate some of the things I'm hearing. Um, I love your when you talk about the brain research because that's one thing that I've valued and appreciate that you bring to, to to the table. And so, when you, I love when you said, "Hey, when we, when we, go, when we, when we get." anxiety, we get rigid. So I think that was, 
that's a, a, a thought provoking thing because I think we all need to be reminded that, that if that's where we go, not that how do we prevent it to just acknowledge that we are getting rigid. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I, even though we've talked so many different times, Maureen, I really love the way you just said relationships and routine, like not just the alliteration of the R's, but just the, how mm-hmm. simple those two things, like, it's almost like if you could just give one tip to teachers, right? <laughs> if you could, I know there's a lot to right. focus on, but right. maybe if you could just focus on two things right now, which would be routines and relationships, like just the way right. you made that it for all the work that I do and how many times I break things down, you made that so simple that I literally was like, OMG, like, wow, that was, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being really honest right now. That was really powerful, the relationships and the routine. So, so those are really good takeaways for our listeners today. So there's, there's two things I wanted to segue with, and, and I'll just start with this one. When you, when you look at, you said, okay, we talked about Shocktober and we talked about the breaks and when kids come back and all that other stuff. So let's, let's dive into the elephant of the pandemic for a second. <laughs> Okay. So knowing that kids left and, and again, I think every school and every state is doing every, it changes daily. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can tell you right now in Texas, a majority of schools have basically said, look, we're, we're waiting until after Labor Day, September 7th and 8th or whatever it is, we're coming back and we're not doing anything live until then, but it's changing. But no matter how it changes, kids will have been gone for roughly, let's just say six months. Mm -hmm. And, we typically have a summer and then they come back with regular summer challenges, but coming back in the pandemic six months later, teachers anxieties are going to be up out of the roof, right? To the Mm -hmm. top. Right. Mm -hmm. And they should be. But when you're taking all of these things into consideration now, what are some of the things that you're having to either go through Mm -hmm. or consider as a teacher when, and if, kids come back and just, just your, I want to talk to you a little bit of just where is your mindset about kids coming back and, and, and I'm not going to call it post pandemic. I'm just going to call right. it kind of mid pandemic. What are your right. thoughts? Oh boy. I think my chest just tightened up. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, again, I come from a brain lens. So how I think about these last six months and I think about this for myself personally um, what I've watched my own children go through, what I know other children talking to, you know, other parent friends and stuff are going through, their brains are more than likely in, the, in their amygdala and their emotional brain more than their frontal lobe, probably for the last six months. And that's for a varied reasons. You know, I know, speaking from my own personal experience, you know, during when we were still in school, but at home, you know, my... Uh, my kids were kind of left to their own devices because I had to teach obviously and be in and stuff in line. And I have older, I have an 11 and a 16 year old, but I know that I had two vastly different responses in my own home. I had my daughter who would get up and she was routined and structured and done with everything by noon, you know, that included her schoolwork, her workout, her journaling, everything. And she was ready my son, that laptop would come out and dysregulation exploded in my house. He couldn't, he didn't want to do the Zoom meetings and he loved his teachers and his best friends were in his class. 
He didn't want to be in the Zoom meeting. He didn't want to look, listen to the videos. I had to print everything. I was fortunate enough that I had a printer. And even then, watching it come off the printer and putting it down in front of him was like, but I can't ask my teacher a question. I can't. So I, I feel like I had a good representation of a, some of what we will, these kids have been going through. I think we have to consider, I think for me, you know, what we're, what I'm looking at and feeling like is we have kids coming back from basically a black hole of, we don't have any clue. You know, we, I mean, I think uh, typically we know a little bit about each of our students and their backgrounds when we see them face to face on a daily basis. And what we don't know is how those backgrounds may be changed you know, maybe their parents lost their jobs, maybe, you know, whatever. We don't know how, um, if situations got worse for some kids that we knew were already tough. Uh, we don't know if kids lived in a great situation and it just pummeled because of whatever was happening in their home. So I think we have kids walking through the door and I say that figuratively <laughs> because we, I don't know if they will be walking through a door, whatever door they're walking through, may it be Google classroom, <laughs> zoom, or the actual like physical door of the school. We are walking, they are walking in with us with, with, it's almost like we have to get to know them all over again, even the kids we already know. I feel like we're going to have so many kids walk through and we are back not only at square one, but like 10 times behind square one because of what they're feeling. And we can't predict each kid's reaction to this. We're going to have kids that are going to walk in and be like, yeah, you know what? It was great. I rode my bike every day or I was on Fortnite 20 hours a day and I won the contest. And we're going to have kids that were like, my life was awful. And the other piece of that is how are we going to create environments where they can feel vulnerable to share that? And, you know, we, we naturally create, we get to know our students just on a normal day-to-day basis. But knowing that they're coming in with so many different responses to situations, how do we, how do we spend time focusing on getting kids out of their amygdala, so to speak, into their frontal lobe and being able just to connect with another human in a way that they haven't been doing for like six months, probably. Now, I'm not saying that every kid, I mean, one of the, I, I'm on our social emotional mental health curriculum committee, and this came up yesterday. We were talking about all the things that are coming up as we not only transition into school out of a pandemic, but, you know, the the politics that are happening and the election and stuff. How do we create environments for kids knowing again, that we don't know what's happening at home. We don't know how, how their parents feel about the pandemic or the, you know, or every, everyone's coming in, not only with the, the stress and the uncertainties and the, and the dysregulation around the pandemic, but just everyone's own belief systems and um, responses to the other things going on in our world. So I feel like it's a really heavy challenge that we're walking into. And I, for me, if, you know, whatever role I end up being in, it would definitely, I mean, it's, it has to be about connection for the, for, for a long time and really creating a safe space to feel that where kids can breathe and feel that they can just inhale, exhale, and know that where I'm going to put in, you know, my goal is to create an environment where they know there's going to be a routine. 
there's going to be a connection and that I'm going to look at them as humans who have gone through a really like unique situation before I do anything else and, and allowing us to, to again, giving that permission to be human in the day-to-day routines of school. And I think it's going to take a long time for, for everyone to settle in and really feel like that feel safe being able to engage. You know, there's so many skills that I think everyone's going to have to be retaught or new skills. Again, I look at the other thing I look at is skills and demands. And if a demands of a situation exceeds a skill set, then you're going to have dysregulation. So I think that's the other challenge we face is what skills does everyone have coming back in, not only emotionally, but just being able to access Zoom or Google or sit in a chair again. And, you know, I mean, um, so I think it's going to be, it's going to be a, it's very anxiety. It's kept, I won't lie. It's kept me up at night all summer. You know, how, how am I going to help these kids manage their own concerns and reactions and worries along with my concerns, reactions and worries. And I think that's, I know I'm going on and on, but I think the biggest part of that is just to be genuine. Um, and if we can just be genuine with, with kids, I think that will, and with students and each other, that'll help a lot. So thank you. No, that was enlightening. And I love <laughs> that. Long, sorry. No, <laughs> hey, hey, we're, that's what we're here for. We, we, I really value what you have to say. So what I would say though, is, is again, a word that you mentioned in a bunch of them, but safety. All right. I I love how you put the connotation of safety as the kids feeling safe to come back and and, and to connect and to learn and to be in this whatever physical or virtual space. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's also, as you mentioned, the anxiety that comes with teachers and in physical safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. I, that, that's when I said segue in two ways. When you, when you look at the safety concerns for teachers for a second, talk to, talk to me about what you and your other educator friends and, and your circle of educators are talking about. How are you feeling when it really comes to teacher safety coming back mid-pandemic? Uh, this, is a, <laughs> this is a tough one for me. I think safety-wise... I, you know, I have, I have a lot of, currently I have a lot of coworkers that just had babies, you know, and I have coworkers that I know have health concerns and young ones at home. And so I think, I think that's a very high concern, right? Is that uncertainty? Like if they come back and whatever structure we're in physically, what are they exposing their, their families and their, their children too, you know, cause again, it's those unknowns, right? We can't, I, you know, I, I guess I don't think we can, you know, ask every student that walks through that door, have you been social distancing? Have you been wearing a mask? Have you, we can't, we can't know that. Right. And so I think that's definitely a huge conversation that people are having like physically illness wise ones. If I get sick, whatever, I think for me, those are the things that I think about. Like, if I get sick, what does that mean for not only my students, but my family? You know, I'm a single mom. It's me. 
me and my two kids. And I, I'm fortunate that I have a daughter that drives. And like last March, I got super sick with the flu and she had to drive me. She had to leave school to drive me to the doctor. I mean, so I'm fortunate that at least I have an older child, you know, I have older children that I don't have a toddler or an infant or anything at home. So I think it's a huge dilemma for me because I want to physically be in the building with my students. I really do. I, I believe that um, for the majority of my kids, my students, that's where I do my best work is interacting with them in the classroom. That's what I've been doing for my whole life is interacting with, with, you know, youth. And so I think for me personally, I, I, I worry about the risk, but I, I'm confident that I can take what's thrown at me, <laughs> but then I, I do deeply worry about my colleagues and um, I want everyone to be safe physically. What happens if a bunch of us get sick, you know, because the other piece of that is if we all go back and then we start having outbreak of people being sick and then we bring in, and then you have people that are going to sub then you've lost routines and regulations and re, or routines and relationships because you have people that students don't know coming in during an already stressful environment. <laughs> and then what are we going to see? You know? So I think that's a, that's a really tough question for me, Kevin. I, I won't lie because I am deeply conflicted about, about myself personally, what I want to be doing, but then I worry so much about my, my peers at work. Um, and I want everyone to feel safe. So no, I, I love your vulnerability and, and I'm going to be very transparent. If I was, if you asked me, so would you, do you miss being on a campus? Would you prefer to be on a campus right now? No, mm-hmm. I, I, right. I would not want to be in those leadership positions right now that are having right. to make the decisions with so many unknown factors. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I, I don't, I don't, think there's, I don't know, I don't, I, you know, I've listened, I've been in a lot of educator groups on social media and I've watched people release their plans. I don't think anyone has come back with a universal plan that everybody said, that's it. Right. Right. I think everybody's just like, we're doing the best we can Uh, with with taking into consideration everything that you just mentioned. And then some, um, I believe in education, this is going to be those decisions that are going to be so crucial for, you know, the 2021 school year. And we still don't know because I can't say post pandemic. And, and, and again, Texas being such a hot spot, you know, we, right. we see cases rising and it's not just Texas, there's other places, but in Texas, particularly being, you know, 10% of the student population in the United States is in Texas. We're that large mm-hmm. geographically. Right? right. So, so I think that schools are doing the best they can, but it, you, there's no way, as you said, I can ensure Right. Safety for students, safety for staff members, safety for kid, for educators that have little ones, for educators, you know, there, there, mm-hmm. there's so many unknowns that it's right. so hard to determine, are we even doing the right thing by right. considering not some type of virtual online? And I feel like that's where everybody's shifting to right now, coming right. into August is, is everybody's like, look... I think the reality is maybe today is not, you know, today as in coming up is not the best time to come back in person. So let's just continue with the virtual. Right. Nope. But they know, again, there's going to be some holes in that, that they experienced back in the spring. But, but Hey, all I know is, is the, what, what I'm hearing from you today is 
is no matter what the circumstances, right? If we have a foundation of routines and relationships, and then you just threw out another R word, don't even know if you realized it, and, and I'm going to kind of interpret how I heard this, mm-hmm. Rut- the help of having routines despite the environment, right? Routines mm-hmm. and relationships helps or equals regulation mm-hmm. is kind of what I, is, is Yeah, is yeah. That, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I kind of took away from that speech. So, so here's what I would say. I'll, 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 let's go a little easier. I want you to think back. <laughs> As we go, we go deep, we end up shallow, right? right That's what we always right. say. So let's go shallow. I want you to think about as in your 24 years in the past, mm-hmm. I want you to think of a moment, a highlight with a student. I want you to think, I want you to kind of go back to your Rolodex of moments. And I want you to think about when is a highlight of a student moment that you had with a kid? And it could be surrounding anything. I mean, it's so open-ended, but I want you to think, Go back in your memories and what are some of those ones that bubble to the top when you just, when it excites you and it just reminds you, this is why I became a teacher? Oh boy, that's another tough one. Well, I, again, you know, for my, most of my career, I've worked in a very unique, I mean, I worked the first 20 years in, in a self-contained kind of behavior realm. And one student will always stick with me and unfortunately, the student took a, an unfortunate path and is currently incarcerated, but I still, the student, will always warm my heart. <laughs> and it was a student that came to me from a different school district um, into our classroom. He came in as an eighth grader. He came in with a file this thick of suspensions and, you know, being kicked out of school and anger issues. And I mean, just a myriad of things. He had a lot of things stacked against him. Neither parent really had a, I, I'm saying this term kind of lightly, but it's kind of sad, a claim to him. Like there was no legal, like he just kind of got passed around between his dad and his stepmom who wasn't even, didn't have any legal things and mom was out of the state and grandparents and everything. So he didn't really have a safe like home base, right? And this kid came in and to my program and his dad came in and had kind of his own reputation. And I, you know, shook the dad's hand and looked him in the eye and said, I'll take care of him. We'll figure this out. And the student, we just, I had a great team too. Cause I, when I, my behavior classroom, I had a couple, uh, you know, we had a team of people and that kiddo, that's, I, that student did not get one suspension. We did not one. I mean, one day he got a little irritated because a student stepped on his shoes and because he had nothing, his, you know, his clothing, he was very, you know, and so, but it wasn't even like, he didn't even like throw a chair. It was like, dude, you you know, like he raised his voice and he, he engaged in his learning. He did his reading. He did his writing. He shared a story that was phenomenal. And we just, we just adored him. And, and unfortunately, like I said, he, he got pulled into a lifestyle that was almost in his genetics, so to speak, despite everything that we tried, you know, I mean, I had people connected with him for sports. I mean, I was looking for every way just to keep him grounded. And he ended up sharing a not very good choice that he had made. And 
again, unfortunately, that choice led him to being taken outside of the powers. You know, there were things that had to happen legally because of the choice he made. But that kid will always just live in my heart because he was literally the, the, I think the poster board for building a relationship with a student and the, you know, you look at him on paper and you were like, holy moly, like this, this kid kind of exceeds the, the, the vision of our group. And that didn't happen because we, you know what we did? We spent a long time getting to know that kid. I walked the track with that kid over and over again before we even got into reading, writing and math you know, and let him just talk and listened and played, you know, made, helped him make connections with teachers he didn't even have in the building, but just so he had another adult and he could go shoot hoops in the morning with someone else in the building or because he wasn't ready for, you know, mainstreaming. But so we found other ways for him, you know, that's why I loved the work I did in a behavior classroom. And, and I was able, you know, the parent, when he was available, he would t- I'd call him every Friday and we'd check in about the student. Unfortunately, the parent kind of went MIA as well, but it was the first time that I, that parent had a connection. His grandparent called me and was like, thank you. You know, um, he, he had a lot of things um, stacked against him. And unfortunately, those things took him down and that makes my heart sad. But at least I know for and this is how I worked when I worked in shelter care too. At least I know for that, like six months that we had him, seven months, he felt safe in a school environment. And he knew that there were adults that genuinely cared about him and wanted the best for him. So much that he shared this very poor choice and knew, he knew that I would have to report it. Like it wasn't something that he could just casually tell me. And I believe in my heart that he told me because he, he knew that I would still look out for him. And I did. And we did as a, you know, and so that's, that's why I believe so heavily in building relationships with, with students and connections first before anything, Mm. you know? Well, thank you for sharing that. That I love hearing from your heart. The, when I, when I listened to how you responded working with this student, it just shows me as an educator how much you care about kids. And I think with your diverse background and your ability to think a little bit different than, than the normal average educator, with, based on your experiences, right? You mm-hmm. keep talking about the brain and you talk about the, you know, the way that the functions and the different lobes that kick in. I think with what I valued and appreciated about today's conversation is your perspective enlightens me to things that even though I may be thinking and teaching and preaching about relationships, you've provided with me things to think about today that I didn't have prior to this conversation. (laughs) So I want to thank you before we close today's episode. I want to thank you. And I truly mean this say you are one of the educators that I've met, and which is why I chose to have you on the show, who, again, it's, you're so genuine and authentic, not just with kids, but with adults, with people that you interact with. You have just been yourself. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. 
But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.